HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Bob's Red Mill believes in baking, breakfast, and the pursuit of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Welcome to Magnifico Radio, the weekly podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and if you're listening live on the Heritage Radio Network, that means it's Monday and it's one o'clock here in Brooklyn. So welcome. Each week I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders in sustainability to discuss their paths and motivation. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifico.com, and my book, also called Magnifico, Your Head-to-Toe Guide to Ethical Fashion and Non-Toxic Beauty. This is episode 23, and today's guest is Sylvia Heisel. At the forefront of fashion and innovation, Heisel's a lifestyle streetwear fashion brand and design lab for 3D printed wearables. Named as one of the 12 people you need to know in New York fashion tech, Sylvia is developing a methodology and fabrication system for the design and manufacturing of 3D printed garments. Welcome, Sylvia. Hey, Kate. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. Nice to see you, too. So you're my third CFDA member to be on the podcast. Where did you study and how did your fashion career begin? I actually didn't study. I started just making things when I was in high school. And first I made jewelry out of uh, plumber's resin and stuff and paint and things. And then went into clothing and started selling things and went through a bunch of different little jobs and things. But I was really self-taught. And then for years, that grew into a women's clothing line. And I had a women's evening wear collection. And then I got to a point where I just couldn't do traditional fashion anymore, where it was like, okay, we're going to do a new collection every season, and we're going to talk about what's new and what's new and what's new, and there's not going to be anything new. And I went back and started trying to explore what could be new in fashion and what I had loved about it. Um, And that led me to sustainability and to technology and to how we could be part of the world, you know, fashion incorporated into the world rather than in its own little bubble. And when you say there was nothing new, do you mean the inspiration? Like, where, where are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I, insp- I mean the inspiration, and I mean that as a designer, when you have a brand, you have to keep, you know, the industry demands that 
every season you have, and every 10 weeks you have new merchandise for the stores that you sell to, and you, there isn't a real what's new because you, the, the economics of it are driving it. So you're not really, nobody wants anything really new from you. They want your brand to do the same thing it's been doing, but pretend it's new kind of. In a different color. In a different color or yeah, a little bit different. But, but the main thing is the sell through and this constant focus on coming up with something that sells rather than something that's creative or different uh, and after years of doing that, you're at a point where it's like, okay, there is nothing new I can explore in this area. Um, and for these customers, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, oh my God, they have way too much of my clothing. They don't need another blouse that's exactly the same. Um, and it just becomes kind of, uh, you know, at, for me, it's sort of, I hit a wall with it. I just... I couldn't do it. I couldn't pretend that I was excited about it anymore. Uh, but I still love fashion. I still love dressing people. That's amazing. So 3D printed bikinis, LED dresses, custom fit clothing designed with an app. What's the future of fashion? Um, some of that is the future <laughs> of fashion. I think, you know, I think it's going to go in a lot of different ways. I think what's really exciting to me right now is that there is a lot of innovation possible in clothing that that we're, you know, textiles and clothing manufacturing uses the oldest technologies that are still in mass, um, mass use around the world that we have these millions and millions of primarily women sitting behind sewing machines going like this and like this sort of um, very, very non-technology driven system and it's incredibly wasteful and there there are huge ways to change that now and and new materials and new manufacturing and a lot of possibilities some of them are you know you throw a lot of stuff in the air and you see what actually works whether we're going to have leds in everything or not or clothes that change color or what you know um, but there's a lot of stuff you can do, and that's very exciting. It's true. I feel I feel what you're saying, like that not only has the industry not changed, but media keeps purporting the same images of the same yeah. industry. So, you know, we don't have like um, um, an, a fortune or not. A, what's the big tech one? We don't have a fast company of fashion, right? right? We don't have like an ink of fashion. So we just have our traditional fashion media and nothing is showing the excitement of what's right. happening in innovation. So I think that people like you feel maybe like you're in isolation and don't realize globally that the, the tip of the iceberg is just starting to come it's out and we're just, it's just, just starting. I think, you know, I think one of the things also is how do you change the idea of beauty? And I think that there is coming up a new sense of beauty. And we kind of globally there is that. But fashion industry-wise, it's still very uh, limited. And we're still going, okay, it's all, you know, it's all going to take place on catwalks, on models that are six feet tall and really, really skinny. And that's going to be, we're going to work with that sense, that base thing of what's beautiful um, and it's all going to be clothing that is based on clothes that have been around sort of the same for a really long time. 
Traditional concepts of beauty, traditional concepts of fashion. Although last year, the Mets, Manus, and Machina, right, fashion in the age of technology, captured the excitement over the future of high-tech fashion. And what does it say when a mainstream institution like the Met tackles the future of fashion? I think there is a real interest in it. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't love that exhibit. Okay. Dish. Why not? Because... I felt like so much of what was really exciting or what is really exciting in the future of fashion isn't about a ball gown. It's about real world clothes and it's about addressing real world problems with fashion. Mm. And while the exhibit was like, wow, these are so spectacularly beautiful, they weren't real world. There were very few things that anyone would actually wear. But then that kind of comes back to the way that traditional media is purporting the fashion industry, right? There is, is no change. Yes. So right. so maybe the way that they can get consumers and, and lovers of fashion to understand the technology possibilities is to put it in a conventional um, yes. frame up. That's so fair. that's yes, kind of absolutely. what I got. Um, but let's let's kind of jump off on okay. that because you, because you are a streetwear um, designer and because a lot of your things are really meant to be wearable, can you talk about how you feel that innovation should be addressing everyday clothes? Um, I think you... S- Start with function. I think I think one of the things that's really appealing to me about the technology industry is that and what it brings to fashion is that technology starts with a problem to be solved in general. Like that the tech world starts with, okay, we have something we need to change and something that could be better. And I think that bringing that to fashion is really great. That we go, okay. What are what are the problems with clothing? Um, you know, and there's a lot of them industry-wise. Of certainly with sustainability is probably the number one, um, and then breaking that down into lots of little tiny things and little problems. And okay, how do we solve each of these? And how can we? How can a designer address a problem and? creatively solve it and make fashion better and make better clothing. So let's talk about your coat, which is okay. the most stylish <laughs> thing I've seen. So so use your coat as an example for, for how you feel about this. Um, okay, so the coat is made from a felt, which is from recycled soda bottles. It's from uh, a U.S. manufacturer on the fabric, and, and then it has reflective stripes on it. Um, and and I think that, you know, we started with on that wanting an inexpensive, wanting to make coats that were an inexpensive recycled material. And I literally started out on Google going, okay, what are, what materials are there? And, you know, just searching a whole bunch of words. Um, and it's a company called Foss Manufacturing, and they make felts for kids stuff and craft things and like when you go into Walmart and you buy little squares of felt for making craft projects that's all their material Uh, and it's made from plastic soda bottles and it's made in New Hampshire and it was like oh my god this is beautiful let's make it into clothing um it is beautiful, and it's beautiful because you are a designer. So it just has this kind of edgy, wearable um, 
look. And then so, and that's not the first time I've seen you with reflective, um, reflective, is it paint or is it? The the reflective is actually microscopic glass beads in an emulsion. And it's the same thing that's used on highways for the stripe in the middle of the road. Um, It's a very, very, you know, Technology-wise, I think it's from the 50s, which makes it a very old technology at this point. Um, And it's a 3M product. It's been used for safety for a long time. What what actually made it kind of new, I think, is the advent of all of us carrying um, iPhones that have a high flash. And all of a sudden, you set your phone to flash, and it's this cool photo. Yeah. Yeah. but it is a great safety product, and I think that part of the reason that we really got into incorporating it was because it's not, you know, it's not an eco product or a non-eco product, but it is a like let's let's get people out, let's go. Okay, it's cool to go out at night and be safe, and oh, bring that into the conversation about what fashion is and sustainable living. Like think of all the urban cyclists who really yeah. need wearable clothes yeah. so that they can do live the life that they want to live, which means maybe car free and still be stylish. So, yeah. Like the, the industry is aching for stylish reflective gear without a doubt, but you're also really passionate about 3d printing. Yes. So let's talk about the, <laughs> okay. the intersection of 3d printing and sustainability. Um, I got, you know, we've been 3D printing products for a few years now. And in the last year, I would say it's, there's been incredible advancements. And, you know, I was the person that two years ago was going like, oh no, 3D printed clothes, never going to happen. Too limited. The machines don't work. There's not great materials. And, and then now there has been this amazing innovation and, the materials, what you can make, and what materials you can use, and then how those materials can be turned into clothing and into flexible products is incredible, and what the machines can do is incredible. And I think it's a really, it's a really exciting area that offers a lot of options for for development of zero waste clothing. Well, A, like I remember when we, because we put you on a panel in Eco Sessions last year on innovations and textiles. And that was the number one thing is we were like, it's really great for zero waste. Yeah. Because you can cut only what you need. Yeah, you're not cutting because you're printing. When you're using normal, traditional textiles, you're cutting away all the excess. You're drawing out your pattern, you're cutting away. And then there's this huge amount of leftover textile that just gets dumped if you're printing your pieces with 3D printing, you're designing a file, and then you're printing from that file exactly what you need. And so there's no waste. And as the materials are getting better, you're also able to print that in a compostable material or a material that's made from recycled plastics. Um, so you're really you're, you're a changing the dynamic of it. 
And that's moved really quickly as well, because yeah. I remember the dress that you um, showed me uh, in the fall, you were like, oh, you know, it's great. Right. It, it ticks off all of these, this zero waste ideology, but um, but we haven't got to the material. And here I've seen you now six months later, and you're showing me today, because you brought yes. some show and tell, some great samples of recycled yes. material that's that's 3D printable, and then this compostable. What's the compostable made of? The compostable is, um, it's a bioplastic um, made from cornstarch at its core essence. Um, so it is a totally compostable plastic that you can bury in the ground and it'll be gone within a couple of years. Um, so it's super exciting. I mean, that there's been a lot of... I've had a lot of pushback from fashion people of like, well, why would you want clothes that won't last forever? Uh, <laughs> Okay, but, but then we get the millennials the old, who ask me every single time, but what do I do about trend? I just want to be on trend. Exactly. So. I, think, I think there is a place, uh, to me there's a place definitely for clothes that you're going to wear for a season and then you don't want to ever see them again. And so let's make them compostable or recyclable. Let's find ways that we can melt them down and turn them into something new. I agree. I absolutely agree. And you brought this cutest little vest with a little peplum in yeah. it that is absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. And so how long does something like that take to make? So I think that's a lot of the innovation that's coming also that we're really excited about is that right now that took about, I would say that took about 12 hours of print time on the machines and then a couple of hours to assemble it by hand. Um, that's changing. We're already at about a quarter of the amount of time that it would have taken a year ago. And there's a lot of innovation on the equipment side as well, that that's becoming faster and becoming more reliable because as yet a lot of the problem is also reliability with the, with the equipment and development of equipment and materials that really work. Well, and we just need more focus. We need somebody yeah. like Emma Watson to be sporting yeah. this cute little vest. <laughs> that would be media amazing. Will pick it up, and then the industry will just grow. Okay, we need to take a quick break. Um, uh, we'll be right back. I don't think there's anybody worthy to run this company but the people who built it. I have employees who've been with me for more than 30 years. And plus, each and every one of them deserves to be an owner. That's just the way it ought to be, and that's just the way it is. This is Bob Moore. He and his wife, Charlie, started Bob's Red Mill almost four decades ago. Today, they offer one of the largest lines of organic whole grain foods in the country. And in 2010, on his 81st birthday, Bob gifted ownership of the company to his employees. I'd received plenty of offers to buy my company over the years, but selling out never felt like the right thing to do. When the time comes to let someone else run this show, I can't imagine selling it to a stranger. Giving the company to my hardworking employees just feels right. The company now has an Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP. Stock is put in a retirement plan for all of its employees. When employees retire, the company buys back their shares. According to the National Center for Employee Ownership, about 11,000 companies in the U.S. currently run as ESOPs. It just shows how much faith and trust Bob has in us. 
That's Bo Thomas, the company's engineer and maintenance superintendent. He's been with Bob's Red Mill for over 27 years and has put his four children through college in the process. For all of us, it's, it's more than just a job. And, and obviously, it's the same way for Bob, too. Bob is still very active in the company. He's the president and CEO, and you'll find him working at the mill just about every day. Because when you love something this much, you want to be a part of it. Well, I may have given them the company, but the boss part is still mine. Bob's Red Mill is committed to sharing only the freshest, best-tasting whole grain foods on the planet. Learn more about their mission of good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. And we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm your host, Kate Black. And today I'm sitting with Sylvia Heisel, and we're talking about the future of fashion. So... People are hesitant of change, and some have been critical of the advance of 3D printing. The most vocal might be Kanye West, who said, 3D printing will ruin the fashion industry the same way the internet has ruined the music industry. Ouch. (laughs) What do you think about that? Um, I'm not sure the internet has ruined the music industry either, but uh, I disagree, I guess is the main, you know, I, I don't. Yeah, I, think I don't get it. it. It's, well, it's a very close perspective because let's yes. talk about the open source possibilities that lie in 3D printing and what, what, what it can open up for designers. Um, I think one of the things, you know, one of the things we've been really excited about is that we're working with, there's a new type of 3D print file which embeds all of the information and the copyright of that file so that when you design, if you were to design a button or a blouse or whatever, that's being 3D printed, you're creating a file that then goes to whoever will print it. And it can be printed anywhere that has that equipment and that filament or or other material to print it. And there is an absolute copyright. It can be traced each time, whether it is really your design. You own that. And it's it's absolute ownership and proof of that for the designer that it can't be copied. Uh, and I think that's kind of an amazing, exciting innovation that that can change. For an independent designer, you can then, you know, you can create something just as easily as a huge brand can, and you can prove that 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 creation is yours. It's so amazing because it's really like we're building this innovation right the first the, time. Yes. So as as it becomes more ubiquitous and people, hopefully in the in the future, rather than having a closet, they have their own three D printer and they can just be just, like, okay, today I want to wear, <laughs> you know, this designer, and and that will that will be in perpetuity that kind of recognition and that ownership of design. I think so, and I think. I'm not sure that I think that everyone will have a printer in their closet and print their own, but I think that one of the great things is that it also requires much less equipment than traditional garment manufacturing, and so you can have small localized factories. The person that wants to print their clothes can, but the person that doesn't want to go through that process each day, there can be a local factory that prints your clothes the way you go to a restaurant rather than cooking your own food. You can have a local printer that makes your clothes. Um, and I, that kind of, to me, is very exciting. 
It is exciting. And then, so do you think the time, what's going to happen in the future? So we've already had this kind of six months since we saw each other last and, and the materials have increased um, substantially. Where, what are the next steps for the growth of this kind of this arena of the industry? Um, I think you're going to see people starting to incorporate it. I think we're in the next few years, it will be more about designers seeing that they can incorporate 3D printed pieces and elements into their designs and maybe some full garments. Uh, and as the technology grows, the amount of it will grow um, as, you know, and it will become within a, within five to ten years, I think it will become a part of, you know, a, a measurable percentage of the apparel industry. Um, and I think Within that time, it'll broaden in terms of what we think of as 3D printed will change because there are materials that will come up where it's fuzzy like a sweater or it's a cross between being knitted and being 3D printed. It's more of uh, not one technology, but sort of, or what we think of as one technology or one skill, but a real blending of them. Oh, it's amazing. It's really cool. The CFDA must be thrilled to have like somebody with you and your your kind of your tech knowledge right there in their pool um, of designers. Uh, you know, that's I'm not sure. I I hope they are. And I really um we're just starting to reach out to other designers and to get them involved because we want this to be open source and we want to work with a lot a lot of our things we're, we're going to be putting out is open source, and we want to be working with other designers and larger brands to incorporate 3D printing and incorporate new technologies like this into their clothes. Um, I won't say that the industry has been incredibly welcoming of all of that, or that the, you know, that there's been excitement. I certainly hope that CFGA will get behind it, and. And bring it. They have. They're an amazing organization, and they could bring a lot of this to their members. It would be very exciting. And when we look at that, like kind of how technology advances, how is the U.S. rated against other countries? Like, who's doing it really well at the moment? That you think, like incorporating 3D printing, moving the the needle on the technology, really kind of leading the way or inspiring. Um, 3D printing. It's definitely the Dutch. You know, there's there's a oh yeah the three yeah. D printed house the three D printed <laughs> house there, you know we're working with these guys who have this company Reflow Filament which is out of Amsterdam and they just built a factory in Delhi which is making three D print filament from old plastic bags and they're literally taking a mountain of old plastic bags apart and turning it into filament and they're doing amazing stuff. Uh, a lot of which industry is taking that up? Um, this is this. It's like where would the plastic bag filament be? Because it wouldn't be in fashion, right? Um, they're making the filament available to sort of whoever. At this point, it is not the filament that they're making right now is not flexible. It's not appropriate for clothing. Uh, it is for buttons and right. for trims. Um, and they're working on more development of that. Their whole thing is technologies for, for recycling plastics yeah. and reusing them. Um, I think the U.S. has amazing, amazing potential 
on these technologies. A lot of the um, a lot of the industry is here. A lot of the energy. A lot of the excitement. Um, certainly, we have such a a lot of a lot of the innovation has come out of maker spaces in the U.S. and that's very exciting. We're going to need to keep it going, which, you know, hopefully, given current world events and all, we can do. <laughs> and a lot of the patents are owned by some of the big athletic companies. So when it comes to moving the needle forward on, on the development, is that being open sourced or is that still a little closed kind of in a traditional old um, business, old model of business kind of way? At this point, it's pretty open. We will see what, you know, certainly there are certain big companies, um, primarily in shoes and sportswear, that are sitting on a lot of patents. Uh, we're not seeing them exercised at this point. So they may just let that go and let the innovation happen. Um, hopefully, we'll see. I don't know. But right at this point, that's not you know, as of today, a hindrance, it may be in the future. Um, I'm not, I'm not an expert on the, the legal side. <laughs> no, I just meant in terms of sharing the knowledge right. and, and kind of being, being open about what they're learning or what they're developing. I, I don't think they're not, I don't think those companies are open at all about what they're developing and learning, but I think it's, they're not stopping anyone else that is developing stuff at this point. Uh, I think there were more of that a year ago or two years ago than there is right now. And um, it didn't help them any to stop things. And so, and you're like one of the leaders. Can you, Have you come across any fashion schools or anywhere where young designers can kind of get their feet wet or start to understand about this um, this kind of design thinking or this, this way to do this digital design? Like... Um, what, what can young designers take from this interview that they now that they're like what <laughs> what uh, you know I um, we're starting to develop a curriculum to teach young designers and part of a lot of what we're doing is developing uh, software that makes it possible for designers to create three D printed clothes without a knowledge of 3D printing and you know right now it's pretty challenging to 3D print a garment you have to learn a lot of different softwares that don't have any connection you know right now we're going through from flat design pattern software and then connecting it to um, 3D print software and Blender and other programs that are very different and outside of the range of fashion and then turning it into a file and then working on the actual how do you print this and and there isn't a lot of information out there because it's so new on printing these materials um, so we're really our core focus is to develop a a simple software method where where a designer can create 3D printed clothing without having to learn 50 other programs. Um, but I would say that a designer that's interested right now, um, 
start out with very simple 3D printing programs and make, you know, there's Tinkercad, which is a software that's open source, it's free, it's for little kids to design widgets, but um, we've done all kinds of stuff in it, and and just print something, find a local school that has a 3D printer and make something. Just make something. Just make something, absolutely. Okay, so now everybody who's inspired, including Emma Watson stylist, how do they get more information and how do they kind of learn more about Heisel, the products that you sell, and then the consultancy and all the other kind of wisdom? Go to our website, hit us up. We're, we're, okay, what's the website? The website is heisel.co, C-O, no, dot com. And how do you spell Heisel? H-E-I-S-E-L. Okay. And you're on social? We're on social um, as Heisel underscore co. And find us there. Um, Do you have any conferences coming up? Are people going to be able to hear you speak at any um, of the tech conferences? Nothing really soon. Um, but when there is, we'll put it out there on all our social. And, um, and yeah, reach out to us. Thank you so much cool. for joining me. Thank it's you. It's such a pleasure to always kind of hear. And I'm so inspired by how quickly this this corner of the industry is moving. Um, I need to also thank Heritage Radio Network, especially Magnifico Radio Engineer, David Tadashore. You can find and subscribe Magnifico Radio on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, kindly give us a rating. It helps us rank higher amongst conventional fashion podcasts and to push these conversations forward. Want to learn more about innovative textiles? Check out our Material Matter series and hundreds of other stories on magnifico.com and sign up for our newsletter and if you have any feedback questions want to be a sponsor or recommend a guest please email me at radio at magnifico.com until next week for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Wow.